we turn to read the good news of what God has done, we turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. We've been in these chapters which lead us from Egypt into the, uh, into the wilderness where God will meet with his people at Mount Sinai to give them the law. One commentator describes the book of Exodus as the Old, as the Old Testament's gospel. Like the New Testament begins with gospel accounts that say, this is what God has done and this is good news. So the Old Testament contains the book of Exodus. This is what God has done and this is good news. And yet even with the provision of rescue, even with the coming provision of an atoning sacrifice, even the reminders that God hears our prayers and forgives our sins, the people in Exodus continue to grumble. They continue to complain. So I'll read Exodus 17, the first seven verses. Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your word you show us the, the truth of who we are, but also you announce to us the grace of what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that as we read in your word today that we would find hope. Hope not just that, that we can overcome the circumstances in which we find ourselves, but hope that you are the God who is with us even in the midst of our difficulties. Lord, I pray that we would see the ministry of Jesus, our Savior, as your word promises that he is the one who meets our deepest needs. Father in heaven, for those that, that come this morning with questions, with doubts, Lord, humble their hearts that they would, would come seeking genuine answers, not merely asking questions to deflect, but Lord, seeking your truth. Make each one of us as listeners to your word humble, that we would expect you to speak to us, that we would expect you to change and, and confront our sin. Lord, we come because of who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus. So we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Henry Fonda asks over the sound of his bleeding cattle, any sweet water up beyond? Oh, wait. No, that's the, that's the wrong sermon. Stephen Von Worley calculated the McFarthest spot, and it's up in the high desert. Of... No, that's... That one's, that's the wrong, do you feel like we've, we've already heard this sermon? Like, haven't we already read this passage week after week? Like, isn't this the exact same thing we talked about last week and the week before? The people 
are in dire distress, and so they start complaining. We've already witnessed Israel's grumblings, and yet we have seen God's repeated provision for the people. And yet there's something about this repetition which is perhaps a reminder to us that you don't show up at church once and then, good, I've got it all. I've got everything figured out. I heard the gospel once and now I'm ready to move on with life. No, we need the gospel repeatedly applied to us. But also a reminder to us that, that what we tend, as soon as we find ourselves again in difficult circumstances, to fall back into the old patterns of sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors. And what God is going to do for his people in the wilderness, even in this, what is initially meant to be a short journey from Egypt to Sinai, God is going to teach them to trust in him. And so, yes, it, in lots of ways, feels like we've already heard this. Well, that's because our hearts are quick to forget. We are quick to turn back toward our sin. The people are in the same situation that they'd been in before. They, in traveling to the desert of sin, which, which doesn't have anything to do with sinful behavior, it's just the place around Sinai is called the desert of sin. There's, there's no connection between the, except that they sound the same to us as English speakers. But they, as the Lord is commanding them, there is now at Rephidim, again, no water for the people. And so what do they do? The exact same thing that they've done before Verse 2, they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Now, of course, water is necessary for life. It's, it's not the wrong request to make, but, but in Moses' reply, we see that they have a terrible attitude. Moses answers them in verse 2, why do you quarrel with me? See, the question didn't come, Moses, we, we've seen God's provision for us, and Last time we asked, God provided, and so we're just coming to ask again just to make sure God knows our needs. No, that's, that's not the attitude. The, the attitude is one of quarreling. Moses it actually says, why do you put the Lord to the test? This is a, a repeated complaint that the people have brought against God. God has, on occasion, shown that he cares about us. But I want to know, right now, does he care about us? They're challenging God's ability, God's willingness to provide for them. Because when Moses calls this a test, that they are putting the Lord to the test, it means they doubt the outcome of what's going to happen. Right? I mean, that's why your teacher gives you a test at school. There's a question of whether or not, have you actually learned this material? And so the test, if it's a well-designed test, and, and you've been prepared and you actually studied at home, then, then when you take the test, you'll show Yes, what was in doubt before I took the test, do I know this information, is no longer in doubt. I have met the test. It's what a, a job interviewer does when you come in. Do you have the qualifications and the skill set in order to do the job that we need to hire you for? A, a test means is, is there, there's, a, there's some doubt about the outcome. It, it's when, a, when an opposing team's manager tests about water. They're demanding that God prove himself. This question, this demand, give us water to drink, is actually saying, I'm not sure I trust in God as a king. I'm not sure I trust in God as my provider. When Moses challenges them, 
why do you put the Lord to the test? They don't stop and consider their attitudes. They don't say, oh yeah, we're doing what we did before, aren't we? This, this is exactly the same attitude that I had before, and I, I should stop. I should repent. I should turn from this attitude, and I should turn back toward God. No, what do they do? Verse 3, the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled against Moses. Now it's not just a demand. That every time you hear that phrase in the Old Testament, that God brought his people up out of Egypt, that should be a moment in which you stop and say, Oh, God deserves our praise. God brought us up out of Egypt. He rescued us. I mean, that's what Exodus 14 and 15 are all about, that, that when God rescued his people, they stopped and gave him praise. So even just that phrase, the fact that they, they take this phrase, that God brought us up out of Egypt, which should lead them to praise, but it turns that into more grumbling and complaint. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To make us and our children and livestock die of thirst. Their complaint is a complaint against the goodness, the character of God. So that Moses will call this place, verse 7 tells us, Massa and Meribah, which, which your, your Bible translates for you it might be there in the text or it might be in the bottom in the foot. The phrase Massa or Meribah, or sometimes the two combined, is to remind them of this time when they tested the Lord. They said, God, I doubt that you're good. God, I doubt that you care. God, I doubt that you have the ability to meet our needs. And so the very place becomes named for their sin, a reminder of their rebellion. See, the wilderness should have been a place that was a reminder of God's faithfulness. God, everywhere we stopped, you met our needs. God, everywhere you took us, you provided manna and quail. God, everywhere we went in this dry and, and desert land, you provided water for us. And yet, the, the name that is attached here is a, is a warning to us of their grumbling, their testing, their lack of faith in God. I mean, it's a challenge to the to up out of Egypt so that he could take you to his mountain where you could worship him. Where instead of living under the, the, the evil regime of Pharaoh, you could be given the gracious law of God and live under his kind and good protection. See, their questions, their complaints, are a challenge to God's goodness. And we too show our lack of faith when we complain. One commentator summarizes, he says, that, that all of our dissatisfaction shows that we are disappointed with God. When you are not satisfied by something in your life, it's not just that you complain about the circumstances. Oh, this was terrible that this happened. When, when, you, when you can't learn to be satisfied in the goodness and protection of God, even in difficult circumstances, when you complain, spot. See, the problem is that our complaints aren't merely against the situation. It's not just that they needed water in the wilderness. It's that that complaint tests the very character of God. And to test the character of God means you have doubt about what kind of God he really is. 
See, and that's the, the problem with Israel's attitude in the book of Exodus. They think he's the one who needs to be tested. When, of course, the wilderness is meant to, it is, yes, the wilderness should be a place of testing, but not for God. It should be a place of testing for the people. Will they continue to put their trust in God? The wilderness is a place of God's faithfulness, of God's provision, of God's care. No matter where you find yourself in life, God is with you to meet you in your time of difficulty, in your time of sorrow, in your time of heartbreak. God once again prove his faithfulness to me, his child. Or do we, do we turn it around and we put God on trial as if we stand in the place of the judge of, you know what, God, it's time for you to show up and prove yourself to me. I have some questions, I have expectations, and you are not meeting them. As if we're in the position of the judge, that God is on trial, that he has to prove himself. And yet, of course, God has repeatedly pr proved himself to the people of God. So that when, when, you, when we read Exodus 17, it feels like, wait, seriously? That's the question they're going to bring again? He just, I, 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 we just read it. It's the last chapter. We just saw it happen. The very last thing God did among them was provide for their needs. And they're still going to complain. God has repeatedly proved himself faithful. His presence and power assure them of his faithfulness. They have every our actions, our actions that deserve to be tested, but not God's, but we try and put him on trial. We think it's God who owes us answers. We try and stand over God as judge. Now, there are probably few public figures that like to be ambushed on the sidewalk by a reporter, unless the reporter is Jaslyn Guerra. She's interviewed celebrities like Tom Holland, Denzel Washington, Alicia Keys. Her big break came when she interviewed the musician Jay-Z. She's able to get honest answers from celebrities that are primed to repeat the same drivel to just get the interview over because she asks great questions. Oh, and she's a self-styled kid reporter. She's 11, and she's absolutely adorable. But, but when she asked Jay-Z, what does it take to be successful? He says, well, you've got to have ultimate confidence. I'm, like you do. And her, uh, on the, the Today Show being interviewed, and then, well, actually, she kind of took control of the interview and just asked these professional journalists to answer her questions. Because she asks questions from a place of genuine interest. And then she gives her interview subjects time to stop and think. There's no gotcha journalism. There's no condescension in her attitude. And maybe it's because she's a kid. Like, she's got nothing to prove. She's, she's not driving for a Pulitzer. She doesn't even know if she wants to be a journalist when she grows up. She just thinks this is something kind of fun to do. She's great at what she does because she knows who she is. A kid with good questions. And we need to take Jaslyn's approach when we come to God with honest questions. The problem is not that the people came to God in their time of need. No, if they come, see, too often we come to God like an angry journalist trying to trap him in a lie. God, I know you haven't been up to good things lately, so I'm going to catch you in it right now. We condemn God before we've even gotten out our first question. But, but really, that arrogance doesn't expose anything about the, the one we're asking the question of. It just exposes our own hearts. It's, it's entirely appropriate 
for the people of Israel to come to God with their questions. It would have been right for them to cry out, Lord, we've seen your power. We know your presence. You can meet our need. You have done it before. God, we are thirsty, and we come to you asking for something to drink. See, that would have actually been the very right attitude. Even if they'd brought that question to Moses, Moses could have just said, well, let's, let's just pray to God right now. And yet they come, give us water to drink. Did you bring us out here to die? Not only has God's presence and power proven his faithfulness, he once again gives them a promise here that he will meet their need. God again provides for his people. We see that when Moses comes to the Lord, we can feel his frustration. Moses cried out to the Lord. That's what the people should have done. They should have cried out to God. God, we need your help. God, we trust you that you can meet our need. In verse 4, we feel Moses' frustration. What am I to do with these people? Now, maybe he didn't ask it in such a gentle tone. What am I to do with these people? Every turn, every stop on our journey, they doubt your goodness. And God, it's so bad now, they're picking up stones almost ready to beat me to death. With your wife and your children and your father-in-law, go back to your herds. Just, you're done. We tried, but they're a miserable group of people. That actually doesn't seem like it would be an unfair thing for God to do at this point. If God is testing his people and they get F after F after F, at some point, well, you're not going to pass this course. You're going to have to take it again. So go back to Egypt and wait and see if I come and rescue you again. But no, what does God do? He immediately answers the prayer of the people, even though it was brought in frustration. And, and, and Moses' answer might have even, Moses' request might even be hearing complete frustration. God, they're about to kill me. You better do something. And yet God proves himself to be gracious. He tells Moses, walk ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Where God will provide water. Because God sent Moses from the wilderness into Egypt to bring his people out of slavery. The, the elders of the people have been rescued from slavery in Egypt, and now have the privilege of leading God's people. It's a reminder that God is providing for them. And take the staff. Which staff? I mean, like my everyday walking stick? No, no, grab the staff with which you struck the Nile. Take the staff, which is a symbol of the miracles that took place in Egypt. And go out ahead of the people. Provide for them water out of the rock. God says in verse 6, I will stand there before you. God is saying, I've been with you all along. I will be right there to provide for you what you need. Water will come out for the people. God meets the needs of his people. I'm going to directly provide water for you so that you know that I care, so that you know that I have the power, so that you know that I will meet your needs. Now, we've turned from, from Exodus to, to 1 Corinthians before because the Apostle Paul takes the lessons of the, the wilderness wanderings and teaches us what it means for us. And so if you turn again to 1 Corinthians 10, 
in your New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul, and, and we've read this in past weeks, Paul, when talking about them, them crossing through the Red Sea, says it's, it's, the people were baptized into Moses in the, in the cloud and in the sea. The cloud that leads them is a reminder that these people belong to God. Crossing through the Red Sea means that these people belong to God. They are part of his people. They ate the same spiritual food we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 3. And it says in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, the people ate the same spiritual from God. That God was meeting their spiritual needs in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10.4, they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. When we read in Exodus 17 that Moses struck the rock, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, and that rock was Christ. How did God provide spiritual water for his people? Through the ministry of Jesus Christ. How did God meet the physical needs of his people? It's that Jesus, the Savior, was right there with them to provide physical water for the people. Now, there's actually in, the, in, in, in rabbinical tradition, and so this is after the, the writing of the, the Old Testament, this idea that, that this rock in Exodus moved with the people. Because they ask the question, well, okay, we... We get other references to manna being provided. And so the rabbi said, well, then God must have taken that rock and taken it with them to each of their journeys. And so sometimes, that, so if you're going to draw a cartoon of this, it might be that, you know, some giant imposing rock that, like, drags itself through the wilderness with the people. Or in, or in some of the rabbi's teachings, it's more like a well dug into the ground. That it's, uh, and, and so it sort of slides along the desert with them. And then Paul, sort of picking up on this rabbinic tradition, talks about the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Now, of course, Paul uses the language of spiritual rock. He, the, the Old Testament doesn't give us any sense that this rock was dragged along with them. Because, of course, there's nothing special about a rock in the wilderness. Even the language of God stood with them by the rock at Horeb. Horeb is the name for the region. It's not like, oh, this specific, like, that's the Horeb rock. No, it's this whole region. God can, put, can pull water out of any rock he wants. He doesn't need to drag the same mirror. Spiritual rock that accompanied the people. Not a physical rock. Who was the one that walked alongside them? Who was the, the one that met every one of their spiritual needs? What, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that Christ met the spiritual needs of the people in Exodus. But more than that, more than that, 1 Corinthians is making the argument, this isn't just a lesson from way back when, that, that God is meeting our spiritual needs in Christ. That Jesus Christ is the source of our spiritual sustenance. Christ was with his people in the wilderness, and Christ is with us now. And even the language that God uses here, in Exodus, when he, when he commands Moses, what is Moses to do? He strikes the rock. Who is the rock? Christ. Dead and buried. When we test God, our sin is exposed. And if God tests us spiritually, we fail. See, when we read Exodus, we might think, well, I wouldn't be that dumb to ask the same dumb questions of God. And yet, I ask God the same dumb questions 
day after day. God, why would you do this to me? With every little disappointment that confronts me, I, 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 it raises the question, does God even care? See, every time I'm tested, I fail. But Jesus Christ, when tested, does not fail. He steps into our place and passes the test on our behalf. When he went into the wilderness, he actually said, you do not put the Lord your God to the test. He wouldn't participate in the schemes of the devil. I won't test the Lord. It's our sin. He has proven God's faithfulness to us. The people, of course, don't need a, a rock that's going to drag itself through the desert because they have God with, him, with them. They have Christ himself, the apostle tells us, to meet their spiritual needs. And you and I have much more than the promise of Exodus 17. Much more than the promise that, that God says, I will stand there before you, because he's proven it to us. He proved it in Exodus, but he proved it on the cross, that Jesus stood in my place, took my sin, condemned for my failure. And then in his resurrection, I passed the test. Now, of course, I didn't do anything in that test except bring my sin and shame and failures to the cross. But God met our needs through Jesus the Savior. And not. God is not here among us. And yet Jesus stands up and answers them. When they say, is, is Yahweh among us? He says, I am with you. I will stand in your place. I have provided for all your spiritual needs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of your word, the hope of your gospel. Lord, that you do meet our spiritual needs in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, I pray that, that as we come to this table, the table prepared for us by Jesus, our Savior, that in this we would be reminded of our spiritual provision, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us, that he shed his blood on the cross, that he died for our sins, Christ. And the rock who is with us now is Jesus, our Savior. Lord, give us the faith to believe, the, the confidence to trust in your word. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.